Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, we do want to say uh, thank you uh, to Matt for filling in. It's been a long time. It's good to have him back up there, isn't it? Today we appreciate that. And actually, as well as a number of uh, people who are filling in. And I don't know what's up with that, uh, Travis, but uh, unless the switch got moved, but it's taped over. Do you know, oh, yeah, maybe that could be. Yeah. Do you know that, you know, the microphone that I have, there are buttons you can change on the side to make it how sensitive are. Well, so they tape it up so I can't mess with it. <laughs> it is good to see all of you here today. Uh, good to see Tim and your daughter here. So if you've been following on Facebook, our prayer request that uh, Katie Sue had not just a hip replacement, she had a whole hip rebuild, right? And she's home, she's getting around some. Yeah, cool. So thank you for praying. Continue to pray because there's a plenty long road ahead here. So what's that? Oh, you're here. I didn't know she was here. She's in the back there. I should have figured... I actually thought that might happen, but when I didn't see you, I didn't see you. So, well, awesome. It's good to see you, Katie Sue. Good to have all of you joining us online, especially all of you life source folks who are out and about. Um, and we, we're missing you. We'd love to have you here. Well, I have a um, question to ask you in just a little bit. I'll just ask you now. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? How many of you would say, Oh, I'm definitely a pessimist. Wow. How many of you say, I'm definitely an optimist? How many of you say, I'm pessimistic about my optimism? <laughs> we, uh, uh, I, I try to think about this, you know, because a um, pessimist looks at an optimist and pessimist says that I'm not pessimistic, I'm what? I'm realistic. I'm realistic. And uh, you think about it, I guess it does depend how you look at the world, where you're looking at it from, right? Because if you're looking at the, if your focus is on this world and, and what it's like and what happens, if that is your focus, you're probably going to feel pessimistic, aren't you, about things. Now, this, uh, I, this is going to come across the way I don't mean for it to. But if you're, if you're focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and what he's doing, and the truth of his word, in the middle of all this stuff, you have reason to be optimistic, right? Now, what I'm not saying is if you're optimistic, you're spiritual, <laughs> and if you're pessimistic, you're not. I really depends. I think that um, optimists, even, like I'm an optimist, basically an optimist, um, but even optimists can get discouraged from time to time but we aren't likely to, to stay there. Um, I was reading, this is from Friday. These are headlines that were in the Boston Globe on Friday, okay? And it's not all of them, but it's a bunch. Just let me read through them, okay? Prominent professor warned Harvard of sex harassment threat to grad students. Mario Batali pleads not guilty to sex assault charge in Boston court. Joe Kennedy III, LGBTQ group, rip Trump proposal on transgender protections. 
For women on the front lines of the fight to dismantle Roe v. Wade, hope mixes with skepticism. At $2.1 million, newly approved Novartis gene therapy will be the world's most expensive drug. Volunteers and workers removed graffiti from Dorchester Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Florida man arrested in alleged theft of almost $750,000 from ATMs in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. A victim in the Dorchester homicide identified. Three parents to plead guilty in nationwide college admissions cheating scandal. Forecaster says Massachusetts residents should prepare for hurricanes because someday our luck will run out. Fascist symbols and rhetoric on rise in Italian EU vote. U.S. officials, plan may send up to 10,000 troops to the Mideast. Speaker Pelosi questions Trump's fitness for office and suggests an intervention. Anyone discouraged yet? Right? I, gotta th- you know, I think we do need an intervention. I think we need a divine intervention. Right? We need a divine intervention in the lives of God's people. And that will make a big difference. But it's easy to become discouraged. And you look at these, you look at these things, and this is just, I mean, they change daily, but not the, the tone of them don't change. You know, it's, it's sometimes hard to feel like we have a bright future, isn't it? But we do. We do have a bright future as followers of Jesus Christ. So the question is, and you have this in the world around you, and then in your own life. I mean, in our own lives, we have circumstances that come along, right? And just sometimes beat you up. So the question is, how do we keep moving forward? How do we not get stuck? How do we not find ourselves moving in the wrong direction in response to what's going on in the world around us, what's going on in our own lives, maybe what's going on deep inside of ourselves? How do we keep moving forward? Well, and this is what our passage of Scripture uh, is about today. We saw in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 uh, that we were saved for a reason, right? God has purposes for us, big purposes for us. And then we saw in chapter 2 that truth really matters. I mean, you can butt your head against truth all you want. Truth always wins. And so we need to know what's true and pattern our lives according to it. And then there is the, the, the seeking to live it out. Seeking to live it out. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, we encourage you to follow along with us. There's a Bible in the chairs there. Underneath the chair in front of you will be uh, on pages 1360 and 1361 here to start with. So um, if you remember, we talked about it last week that One of the reasons Paul wrote this letter is because the Thessalonians were confused about the Lord's return and what was going on with that. And someone had told them, the Lord has already returned and you missed it. And so what were their expectations? They didn't know. And so Paul addressed that. No, he says, the Lord has not returned yet. We know that because these things haven't happened yet. And um, But one of the things that had happened in the, the church in Thessalonica is that there were some people who had used this teaching that the Lord was returning. And by the way, He is returning. He could return before we're done here today for the believers, right? You guys believe that? Now, would that be good news? Yeah. 
So but that could happen, and uh, it could have happened in Paul's day. We, you know, we aren't privy to when the Lord is going to do that. Uh, but some of the people there had said, well, the Lord's returning, and, and it could be soon, so I don't need to keep working. I'm just going to hang out until the Lord returns. It'd be kind of like if you got convinced that, wow, the Lord is returning. I can see it. The signs are here. It's not going to be long before he comes back. I'm just going to go max out my credit cards and live the life until he comes back. And so this was happening in, in Thessalonica. And so Paul is going to challenge this. Um, people actually taking this doctrine and twisting it and applying it in wrong ways. So let's begin reading here. Chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read through the chapter and we'll go back and really talk about what Paul says about how we keep moving forward. He says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. So he says, withdraw from certain people and, and uh, just hang on there. We're, as we read through this, then I'll pull that together for you, help you understand what he's talking about. Verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. All right, so let's just go back here and talk just a little bit about uh, this idea of, of uh, withdrawing from someone and not keeping company with them because of the way that they're living. In, in the, the New Testament, uh, both in Matthew chapter 18 and again in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Lord in his word tells us that there are times when we must take an official, formal stance against one of our members because of how they live. And so here's the idea. 
In Matthew chapter 18, he makes it really clear. If someone is living as though they are unsaved, in other words, they have rejected maybe the morality of the Bible, and they're living an immoral life, they're open life, so maybe they have left their spouse living with another spouse. Maybe they are involved in, uh, you know, financial cheating or whatever, but anything that is, it's known and it's very clear that this is not the way a Christian lives. And it, it will bring reproach on the name of Christ and, and damage the reputation of the church with respect to putting the gospel. Jesus told us that if someone is choosing someone who claims to be a brother or sister in Christ, and they're choosing to live as if they are a, not a Christian, okay, that we are then to treat them as though they are not a Christian. And so if, if anybody can attend this church, right? Anybody can come in on Sunday morning and, and hear the word and, and as we worship the Lord together, anybody's on that. But if someone says, no, I'm a follower of Christ and I want, I'm a member of this church, well then, you have to live like a Christian. This isn't about being perfect. We're talking about a person who says that they know the Lord, they have been a part of the church, and then they one day say, you know what, I don't care, I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm done with that. Well, the Bible says that we must lovingly confront them. And it gives a process for doing that. It isn't just immediately, but you work through a process and try to get them to turn back to the Lord. Try to, to you know, confess where they're at and, and seek the Lord's forgiveness. And then we restore them. That is always the goal. But if they refuse, then the Bible says we must put them out of the church. Okay? You, we can't, you can't stay and act like a member of the church following Christ when you are not living that way. Okay? And so... Uh, that doesn't happen very often. Happens on rare occasion. Uh, and it's pretty evident when it does. Now, I think what we see Paul talking about here today in 2 Thessalonians is not that. It is not an official, formal kind of putting out. Here's what he's talking about. Or at least I'm convinced. Um, he says that these people that he's talking about, the ones that you need to withdraw and not keep company with, are people who are refusing to work. They're not working. Instead, they are busybodies. They're, they got their nose in everybody's business, right? And it's, it's, it's creating some turmoil and some friction and some problems. So when the Apostle Paul says, don't company with them, don't hang out with them, I think what he's really saying is, do not provide them an opportunity to be busybodies with you. For them to, to do this in your life, you'd have to spend time with them, wouldn't you? And it isn't that, so here they are, you see them, you're talking with them, and then the conversation turns to unprofitable, unhealthy things. And you are to do what? Say, no, I, I, I'm not going to be a part of this. This is not right. Now, I want to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you just love to tell people, look, what you're doing is not right? No, we don't really want to do that. But Paul says we need to. We need to confront this in this person's life. And so we don't just hang around and let them do their thing and act like everything's fine. When they're doing their thing that we're talking about here, we say, "That's look, this is not acceptable. You can't be doing this. And so it's the idea of not providing them an opportunity to do it, and it's also confronting them about doing it, okay? 
Uh, and the reason I say this is because I get this sense. He's saying, you know, don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You have to be in a relationship to be able to admonish somebody, okay? So that's my sense of what he's, he's talking about here, that we ought to love each other enough to not let each other keep sinning, you know, and to confront that and say, hey, this, this isn't right. It's not good for you. It doesn't glorify the Lord. Okay. So I want to see. Let's go back in verse 13. He says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. All this stuff that's going on, all the things that happen in life, all these things we've already talked about, do not grow weary in doing good. Is it easy to grow weary in doing good? Sometimes. Sometimes it is, but we're not supposed to. Well, how do we not? And by the way, I equate this idea of do not grow weary in, in doing good as this idea of keep moving forward. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep moving forward. Well, how do we do that? And I think that in the uh, first five verses of this chapter, he tells us how to do that. So let's go back and look at this. And you see, this is things that Paul is talking to Thessalonians about. And what we want to do is say, okay, what would that mean for us? Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray. What is prayer about? Prayer is an expression of our dependence on God. That's really what it is. Do we, are we dependent on God? You know, Dave, you're right early when you said they seem like they're still asleep. Are we dependent on God for everything that matters? Yes, for everything that matters. And he says, okay, brother, pray. Pray, and he has some specific things. But what I want to challenge you with is this idea that if we are going to keep moving forward, we have to make a decision. And that means you need to decide to depend completely on God. Pray. Oh, God, we need you. I mean, how much control do you have about life that's going on around you? Yeah. How much control do you have over what's happening in another person's heart? I mean, you can influence it, you know, maybe impact it, but you don't have any control over that. And I would say to you that when it comes to living your life for the Lord, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, you have Zero control over that too. You need him to work in your life. You need him to help you think right about things. You need him to help you to respond rightly to things instead of reacting in ways that just come natural to you. You need him. So you got to decide to be completely dependent on the Lord. And so pray. And so when we pray, let me encourage you. If you're a parent or even a grandparent at this point, never say to your children, or grandchildren, did you say your prayers? Or go say your prayers? That's not what the praying is about. Say your prayers, that's just what? Here's the words. And you may come from a religious background where that is how you prayed. You had, had prayers that you said. That's not what God is looking for. So we're talking about depending on God. And so we personally uh, come before him and, and pour out our need. And so when we talk about praying, do this. Acknowledge your limitations and God's omni-abilities. Now, I made that last word up. Omni-abilities. But you get the idea, right? 
You know, we absolutely need the Lord to work in our lives and do the things that we cannot possibly do on our own. What did Jesus say to his disciples in John 15 when it came to, to living a life that honors the Lord? He says, for without me, there's only a few important things you can do. Is that what he said? No. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, can you tie your shoes without the Lord? Yeah, can you scramble some eggs without the Lord? Yes, we're not talking about that. He's talking about anything that is of spiritual significance, anything that is of eternal significance, anything that's about honoring the Lord and glorifying Him. You cannot do it apart from Him. You need Him. Are there things you don't know? Does He know them? Are there things you can't do? Can He do them? Are there places you cannot be? Is he there? Right? And so we want to acknowledge that we have these limitations. He does not. And so we depend on him, talking about the things. And then acknowledge your trust in God's goodness. Um, you know, we can get our head around the fact that God can do anything. You know, he's capable of doing anything that needs to be done. But we have to make a decision that not only is he capable, but if he does and whatever he does is good. And it's for our goodness. And so this is when we pray, we can surrender to him and yield to him and say, okay, God, I want you to work because your ways are best. Your ways are right. Your ways are always good. And, and then that idea leads to the, the third thing I want to challenge you to include in your prayers of dependence. Acknowledge your surrender to God's will and ways. Lord, I surrender to you in this. You are Lord of my life. I am not. All right, so if you're going to keep moving forward, we've got to become consciously dependent on the Lord, and one of the best ways to be consciously dependent on the Lord is to pray, to talk with him about these things. So then Paul talks to you about praying a couple of things he wants to specifically pray for, but the first one is this. Verse 1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. All right, so uh, he wants the word of the Lord to run swiftly. I, what kind of picture does that bring to your mind? Whether you think of a person running a race or a stream with water running down the side of the mountain or whatever, this idea of swiftly is, in other words, there's nothing blocking it, Right? There's no obstacles. There's nothing stopping it. It has free reign in, the, in, in, the, uh, in its path. And he says, that's what I'm praying for God with respect to his word. And so here I am. You know, I'm standing up. I'm preaching the word to you. You're opening the Bibles and looking at it. Hopefully you're opening your Bibles and looking at it during the week and having conversations with God about it. And so Paul says two things. That it would be glorified. In other words, the Bible is indeed the word of God. Okay, it is God's word. Secondly, so that it may run swiftly, and that's that it might be fully applied. No obstacles in your life to applying what God says. So if you're going to keep moving forward, the second thing is this. Treat the Bible as God's word and align your life with it. Let it flow in your life without obstacles. Let it take you where it is intended to take you. And he says this. Look at the end of that verse. He says, just as it is with you. So he uses them as an example. So go back towards the front of your Bible, two or three pages, to 1 Thessalonians, the first letter to Thessalonians. 
I think it's page 1357 in the above, 1356 in the Bible that's there under the chairs. Let's begin reading in verse 5. Paul is recounting when he had come to them and preached to them and, and what their response had been. He says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. When the Thessalonians heard the word and began responding to it, much affliction, much trouble, much suffering, much persecution. And um, so what I want you to understand is this. Uh, what I'm trying to, what does this mean for us? Um, if you determine to treat the Bible as God's word and align your life with it, it won't be easy. It won't be. Because you know you have an enemy. You have an enemy. And, and we're going to see that. Paul talks about that here in just a little bit. But we've already talked about life itself. <laughs> Does life ever get hard? Does it? There are some of you in here, because of all the rain we've had in April and on into May, a lot of those days that you find yourself emotionally struggling because it's been dark and rainy. Right? Now, not everybody feels that way. But there are people who do. The point is, life sometimes just gets hard. Things that we don't know, we don't expect. That works against us. Secondly, we, we do have uh, spiritual opposition. Like I said, the enemy is going to work around you. Thankfully, he, he cannot directly touch you unless the Lord has some purpose in that. Uh, but he's going to work against you. He's going to, you know, stir up stuff in your life around you. And then finally, you have your own flesh. And by your own flesh, I don't mean this so much. This is part of it. But by your own flesh, I mean your own approach, a way to approach life apart from the Lord. I mean, do, are you ever tempted to say no to God? It's not a trick question today. Are you ever tempted to say yes to things that you know you really shouldn't be doing? Well, I got to tell you, your flesh doesn't want to get up early in the morning and read the word. Right? It just, your flesh doesn't want to be submitted to anybody or anything outside of yourself. So, I mean, you're going to have that kind of battle too. And so all of these things work against us. But it is crucial if we are going to keep moving forward that we treat the Bible as though it is God's word and then we actually align our lives with it. It is crucial. Second thing, let's just continue reading what the, they did here. Verse 7. He says, so that you became examples. Okay, because they received the word, they became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. They became examples. Verse 8, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. So they shared the word. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Their lives had changed so that people could see that they, they believed. Verse 9, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So they turned away from the things that didn't belong into their lives and began devoting their lives to serving him. All of this because of the word. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So how much of the Thessalonians' life did the word of God apply to? 
all of it, it should apply to all of ours as well. Okay? And then chapter 2, verse 13. He says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You know, that means that wherever the word comes to you, whether it comes to you from your own reading, whether it comes to you when you're reading what somebody else said or you're listening to someone else talk, it comes to you through the preaching, through the teaching. When you hear God's word, you don't say, well, that's a nice opinion. You say, no, this is God. This is what God says. And so the third thing here, God himself will speak to you through his word if you're open to it. Is that exciting? The reality is, I tell you folks, is that when I am faithful and I'm pursuing the Lord in this, in his word, and I'm spending time with him with the word, I cannot tell you how many times that the Lord all of a sudden gave me little aha moments. Oh, now I see something. Now I understand it. And it isn't always necessarily about anything specific that's going on in my life, but it's a, a better way of understanding, more accurate. And then there are times, indeed, where I'm feeling overwhelmed, weighed down, not knowing where to go. I feel like I'm a mess. I feel like I don't know how to respond to all this stuff. And yes, I get that way occasionally. Anybody else here? All right. How many times when I've said, okay, no, I'm going to sit down with the Word. I'm going to have a conversation with God and His Word that he hasn't addressed pointedly just what I needed to hear and respond to. you got to be in the Word. you got to treat it as though it is God's Word, and then you got to align yourself with it. All right, let's go back over to chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, page 1360 or 1361 there. So let's pray. He says, pray about the Word. Then pray about something else, verse 2. He says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Um, okay, can I take a little sidetrack that's really important? He says, for not all men have faith, not all women have faith, not all human beings have faith. My question to you today is, do you? And I'm not talking about, oh, I have this amorphous thing called faith. I have faith. No, I'm saying, do you understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is? Understand that you were born with a sinful tendency and then you lived it out and you sinned against the holy God and that, that will condemn you to an eternity in hell. But the fact is that God loved you so much, he sent his only son. We sang about it, that he sent his only son into the world. To, to die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sins and rise again. So that if we will acknowledge the truth about ourselves, truth about what G, who Jesus is and what he did in our lives, and turn away from our own way of life and our own way of trying to fix things and said, turn to him and put our faith in him. If you do that, the Bible says every sin gets forgiven. He says that you now have eternal life with God in heaven. Probably the biggest thing of all, God himself moves in and will never leave you, never forsake you, and he will go to work in your life 
challenging you, helping you to grow, helping you to understand the word, helping you to live like a Christian is supposed to live. But the key is, is have you ever once and for all made that decision to place your faith in Christ? And this is true for those of you who are here today. It's just as true for those of you who are watching or listening. Not all men have faith, do you? All right, so I'm going to come back over to how we keep moving forward. He says unreasonable men. I think these are people who will stand in opposition to you because they don't really get it. And then wicked men, they get it. And they're staying in opposition because they, they don't want you to follow Christ. But what a precious thing. Verse 3, but the Lord is what? Faithful. And he will do two things. He will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Does it say he might do that? No, he will do that. He will work in your life. He, he who started this good work in you is faithful. He will complete it. So even though there's going to be opposition, that's, and so let me just, here's the third thing if you want to keep moving forward. Expect God to overcome inevitable opposition and difficulties in your life and to use them for your good. So opposition, difficulties, inevitable, but God is faithful. And so you need to expect that he's going to work. You can expect that these things are going to happen. Don't become a pessimist. You can expect that these things are going to happen, but you can just as surely expect that God is going to use them in your life to establish you in your faith and to embolden you to live that faith out and to guard you from the enemy. Okay, let's continue. Verse 4, he says, And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. All right, so if I ask you today, before we had started, and because you wouldn't have had this context yet, but if I ask you today, how confident are you that the people around you in life are always going to do what's right by you? Hmm. <laughs> we could be really honest and open, right? I think it's natural for us to, I don't know. And why are we not confident? Because stuff has happened, right? And I think if we really are honest, we look at it, we're not confident because we know what we're like. Okay. And yet the Apostle Paul says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. And so here's the deal. We, uh, let me just put the point out here. Keep moving forward. Be confident that the Lord is working in and through his people. Be confident. Confident in the Lord. You know what? I would say that for the most part, unless you give me some real reasons not to, for the most part, I trust you. I mean, that's, that's my default starting place with you until you make it really hard to do. And so, uh, but why is that? Is that because I think you got it so together? No, it's because the Lord has it so together. And he says, trust each other, love each other, be there for each other, depend on one another. I'm confident in the Lord that I can do that. So what if you, what if you hurt me? Poor me. I've been hurt again. 
I, I realized something. I don't know it was some point, but I realized that I can only get hurt by other people when it's about me, when my life is about me. And when my life is about me and you don't really treat me the way I think I ought to be treated or whatever, I get really hurt. My feelings get hurt. But I'm reminded, Jesus hanging on the cross as they crucify him, and he says, Father, forgive them. They what? They don't know what they're doing. Because for the Lord Jesus Christ, it wasn't about him, was it? It was about those very people he was dying for who were doing this to him. And so, when you find yourself feeling hurt by other Christians in particular, it may be that they're doing wrong, but I think that should be a little red alert. Eh, 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 eh. You're feeling so hurt. Life is sure is about you, isn't it? But it's not, is it, as believers? Our life is about the Lord. It's about letting him live in us and through us into the lives of people around them. So when we're going to have this confidence that God is working in and through his people, value them, invest in them, and be there for them. Be for the other people in the body of Christ. You know, because that you're doing for them, you can help them to do it back to you. We need each other. Uh, let God fill you with love for them. Look in the next verse here. He says, now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Two things, the love of God, the love of God for you. Now, if you're going to love other people, that means you've got to do something. I actually, I love everybody. Where do you show it? Well, just in those words. I love everybody. <laughs> I love you. Show it to me, right? So the idea is we need to do it. We're talking about valuing each other, investing in each other. You have to, to engage to have the benefit of love. I have so much to talk about there. Finally, be patient <laughs> with them like Christ is with you. How patient is Christ with you? Can you be patient with other people like that? And I think the idea is this. Uh, think about how the Lord is patient with you. When you mess up and you just act spiritually stupid, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you mess and you create mess and you pray and God works in your life and kind of delivers you from it and grows you through and come out the other end. Does he value you less now than he did before? He values you the same, doesn't he? And so when you're patient with the people around you, what that means is when they mess up, when they aren't getting it, when they aren't cooperating with their whatever, and you get frustrated, you get tired, right, of the whole thing. But when you're patient, the idea is when this, we get to the other side of this, you still value them the same. They are just as important to you. See, that's the way we need to be with each other. That's a different kind of love than this world knows. So, brings us to verse 13. Brothers, what? But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary 
in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. See, in other words, do what? Keep moving forward. How are we going to keep moving forward? We saw four things here. First, you've got to decide to depend completely on God. So pray, pray. And then we saw that you need to treat the Bible as God's word and align yourself with it, align your life with it. Okay? And then expect God to overcome inevitable uh, opposition and difficulties in your life and to use those things for good in your life. And finally, be confident that the Lord is working in and through his people. This is, it's never just about me. It's never just about you. It always includes me, you, and us together. Us together. This is how you keep moving forward. Not that complicated, is it? But what it does require from you is, is a surrender to the Lord today and saying, you are Lord, I'm not. you got to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you have called us to keep moving forward, and we know that you will be honored and glorified in our lives as we keep going forward with you. Even when the things around us seem crazy, we just keep going forward with you. That, that you are accomplishing great and good purposes through us and in us. Thank you for that. Thank you for what you led Paul to write for us here today. I pray, Lord, that we right now would surrender ourselves to you in that. We would say yes to you. To do what it takes. To not be weary in well-doing, but to keep moving forward. And I do pray, Father, for anyone here today, as we talked earlier about not all have faith. I pray, Father, that that anyone here today who is hearing that and saying, man, I don't know if I have faith. I'm not sure what's up with that. I pray, Father, for your continued working in their hearts and minds, but I pray especially that they might connect with us and let us help them to know how they can have that faith and have that relationship with you. We ask your great blessing on us, Father. We need you to work in our lives. We want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as always, if you have questions about what you're hearing or you want to say, hey, what's my next step? I want to respond. I want to act on these things. Let me encourage you. Stop at the path display out in the foyer out there, okay? We have some people who can help you with that. All right, have a great holiday week.